Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. Kindling Helpline is brought to you by Emla Anesthetic Patches and Creams. When your little one needs to be brave, Emla is there to ease the pain of vaccinations and blood tests. And of course, use only as directed. Hello and welcome to Kindling Helpline with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. Chris comes here every Monday to answer your questions. Uh, anything from bringing your baby home to toddlers, behaviour, to yep. mixture of how you handle siblings. Chris has over 30 years experience helping families throughout Australia, but she's here today just for you. How are you, Chris? I'm very well. Did you have a nice weekend? I had a great weekend. Lovely. Weekend. Good yeah. way to start. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good day. Excellent. <laughs> well, let's help your day be better. Um, if you've got a question for Chris, you can email us at conversation at kindling.com.au. You can call us on 1-800-KIDS-RADIO. That's 1-800-543-772. First up, we have a question from Louise. She says, I'm the mother of a gorgeous 15-month-old boy, Teddy. We love that name, oh, Teddy. Yeah. We're, in an awkward two, we're in the awkward two-to-one nap yeah. transition at the moment, and our sleep times are all over the place. Teddy usually wakes early between 5.30 and 6, and wants an hour or so to nap, about 8.30 and 9. Mm-hmm. But then we struggle to get him to have a second nap later on. He's usually awake four to five hours. I've started trying to wake him after 20 minutes in the morning with the aim to have yeah. a longer, around one and a half hour nap, about 12.31. Bedtime is seven usually. I'm confused with what to do re his naps and bedtime at this age. Help, please. Ideally, we'd like him to wake around six. Yes, and I think, Louise, that's where your problem is. Because he's not waking at six, it's hard to get that rhythm of moving him from one sleep to two, uh, from two sleeps to one sleep. But you are thinking along the right lines in that I would decrease that morning sleep to almost like a nap, like 20 minutes or 40 minutes. And then he needs about three and a half hours before you put him down. Now, if he's fighting those that afternoon sleep, he's probably ready for one sleep. But the one sleep will be hard if he's waking before six. So we get it gets sort of into a little bit of a pickle. So if we can get him to go till six, then we can get him to go to sleep at eleven thirty and sleep one big sleep from eleven thirty till about one thirty two. And then he'll go down between six thirty and seven at night and eventually back up to seven. So I think the issue is the five thirty because that's what he's he can't quite make it that distance. And even if he made it to one sleep from 5.30, it'd be 10.30 in the morning. That would be too early. So partly I'd have a look at what's happening at 5.30. Is he just laying there talking to himself till 6 or is he calling out? Um, But it looks like he should go on to one sleep. So why don't you decrease that first sleep down to 40 minutes, then down to 20 minutes. And when it gets to 20 minutes, make it incidental, like in a pram or a car. And then I think you can re-establish the big afternoon sleep, um, which would be somewhere around 12.31. And, And then once you've got that going comfortably, also work on trying to get him to sleep till 6 Um, which is really hard at the moment because it's so bright at between 5 and 5.30 and then all the birds start chirping. 
But I think that's the best way to tackle this. Small morning sleep, try and establish that long afternoon sleep. If that doesn't work over 10 days, then go into one sleep and see how that might help this whole thing settle down. Okay, and Louise, I know that uh, you are travelling in the car at the moment, so um, have a shot with that advice, and if you need more help, Chris yep. will be back next week, and perhaps we Absolutely. can get you on the phone to help you tweak it a yeah. bit more. Um, Rachel has a 19-month-old. First, massive thanks to Chris for all her tips and advice. Oh, that's kind. I've not only learnt from my previous question being addressed, but from so many other queries. The issue I'm currently having with my 19-month-old is her ongoing, very strong preference for me over dad or anyone else. Her separation anxiety has been really bad since around 14 months, also when I fell pregnant with twins. Ah. Coincidence, maybe? She might not have been feeling very well. (laughs) Um, She will cry hysterically when dad tries to put her to sleep change her nappy or when she cannot see me if I'm trying to have a much needed rest. I put it down to a phase, but it's been going on so long, I'm getting concerned about what's going to happen when, when the you twins have arrive. Twins. Yeah. She's in daycare three days and often doesn't see dad in the evening of those days as she's in bed by seven and he isn't home. The two other weekdays she's with me, dad will see her for maybe 20 minutes at the end of the day. On the weekends, we aim for lots of one-on-one time with dad so he will take her to the park, etc. She enjoys that time a lot but is anxious to get home to me. Any ideas or tips? I want to make the transition with the twins go as smoothly as possible. Oh, wonder when those twins are coming. Um, must be soon. She's 19 months and it all started she, at 14 months. Yes. So we've got a couple of months. I'd actually start... So in this case, lots of people often go, well, the more time she spends with dad, the less anxiety. The interesting thing is how she does in the separation with daycare. So when she goes to daycare, does she separate easily for, from you? At that point, does she just run off, say bye-bye after a few minutes and she's happy all day? So if it that's the case, she's got she hasn't got separation anxiety in general. She's got it about the time spent between the three of you, as in that she wants to dominate by having all the time with you. So firstly, find out, or you would be able to tell us, whether this occurs with um, drop-offs at daycare, because if, if that's the case, she probably does have separation anxiety. But it seems that it only reads about dad. And dad's, you know, got little moments with her. I think you should do more as a family as opposed to separating it because the time she's spending with dad, she's thinking about mum. So if we can do more time together, I think in the long term, her ability to go between the two of you will be much more relaxed and that's going to help when you um, have those babies and you have to sit for a long time and somebody else is going to have to help out with her. So I think the first thing is for us to find out is does it happen all the time and the second thing is if it occurs with dad try doing things together so that she moves easily between the two of you so that then when dad says let's go for a bath it just becomes part of the normal family process instead of saying well you need to spend more time with dad and that creating more and more anxiety for her so I think we need a little bit more information in terms of um, whether it happens outside of the relationship with dad. And do you have any tips for um, Rachel 
at the point when she does bring the twins home, having already got a child there, is there anything that she can put in place? So the first thing we start, funny enough, I'm doing a twins class on the weekend, but um, the first thing we start off is how much support does she have around her? You know, who's going to help out? We get it organised. So we don't have lots of people come in and take um, this little one away from you. We actually get them to help you in the home so that you only have to sit down and feed the babies and then maybe hand them over to somebody else and go back to spending a little bit of time with this little one to balance that behaviour off. Because obviously the twins, it's double the amount of work but in the same time frame. So the feed still takes an hour. It's just that you're stuck for a whole hour. You don't move very far. So I think we need to look at who's going to help out, start that process happening about eight to six to eight weeks before the babies are coming which is different to due date and then that will help her make a transition quite easily and also when you're in hospital not to have her go stay at other places to have them at home with dad make that you know really consistent for her because she's already struggling with you being in hospital. And uh, only because I'm thinking of Rachel about yeah. to have twins. Um, you, you've given good tips in the past in terms of, um, let's just say she can't have someone there all the time with a little one. When she's feeding, what are the sorts of things she can do? So usually there? with twins though, um, if you didn't have someone around, we'd actually feed one twin and then the next twin so that she's not absolutely stuck with two babies on her and that little toddler might be doing something dangerous. So the few times where you don't have help, you'd feed one baby. So you've got at least a free hand that she could come up and sit beside you and maybe read a book or you get that box out that she only has when you're feeding with things in it that she can play with blocks, um, even things like tea sets so she can make mummy a cup of tea all that engaging mimicking behavior that they like to do at this age Um, but my biggest hint is if you're on your own you're going to feed the babies one after the other you're not going to feed them at the same time so that you've got that freedom that you've got some hand or some space that she can come up to you. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Rachel, you may not have wanted that advice. But, but we've just, given you some. <laughs> just a little bit extra, perhaps. Um, good luck with that. And please, yeah. again, feel free to get back to us if yeah, you have more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Alana has a 14-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. Yep. Hi, how are you? She's after some tips for long car trips. I can easily go for a three-hour with a short stop around one-and-a-half hours. Yeah. Uh, but we are driving um, Melbourne to Queensland soon and are doing it in a, a nine-hour day and a six-hour day in order to get there in time. Any tips? I have a 14-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. I'm hoping to do this without disrupting both their night sleeps throughout the whole holiday. That doesn't seem like a lot of time because it takes nine hours to drive from Sydney to Melbourne and it takes more than six hours to get to Queensland. Must be going inland. I To do... I think this is a really difficult thing because I think doing it in what looks like one one long day... I think they'll be two long days in the end because... As you've said before, when you do a three-hour drive, you stop it about an hour and a half. I think that will be the same. I think, one, you need to look at, you're probably going to stop about every two to two and a half hours for about half an hour to 45 minutes. So I think these days are going to be much, much longer than you think. Um, So... 
I have a feeling you must be going inland to do it in that short as opposed to coming straight up the coastline. The other thing that I would think about here, um, especially with a three and a half year old, is either, it depends whether he's the iPad boy, which I'm sure he is or she um, is, and I would get one of those mounts on the back seat and some wireless head- headphones just to break the trip up. I wouldn't use it immediately. I'd use it further down the track. Um, I would get download some music, so nursery rhymes that everyone can sing. I don't think your three and a half year old would be the difficult person because you can always do a colouring in book, a sticker book, something like that. I think the 14 month old will have a lot more difficulty in sitting for that length of time. Now, obviously, you'll do some of this around sleep times and sleep windows. If I was doing a nine-hour drive, I would start at lunchtime. And the reason for that is you'd get that first sleep window whenever one both might sleep. Then they'll be awake for a period of time. You can stop for dinner. And then you can do a much longer drive because our evenings are longer. So they're lighter, so it's not like driving at six o'clock. So I'd probably see if I would do the drive more from lunchtime to eight o'clock at night than all day and it taking all day. Because once they've had their dinner, you could drive for a good couple of hours before you had to stop again Mm. and they'd both be asleep. Mm. So I think you'd have to look at those time frames and look at how how where you can stop but in terms of the three and a half year old I think it's simple it's sticker books it's it's um you know a few new toys it's the iPad but and I- also we can recommend we've got a new um series from NRMA called Are We There Yet? Oh, Which yes. Yeah, I saw a, that the other day. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's free on our app, so you can download the books before you leave, and there are stories, Seasons. travel activities. Songs? Um, I don't know if there are songs, but, oh, yes, there's big nods from everybody else. <laughs> I'm so assuming yes, there would be there music. Are songs. And um, they're with uh, Australian celebrities like Justine Clark. Every child loves yeah. Justine Clark. So do the adults. And Guy Sebastian, Fitzy and Whipper and yeah. more. So you won't go insane listening to it, but they will Yeah, so I think this would work for the three-and-a-half-year-old. I think the struggle would be sitting a 14-month-old for that long because yeah. they just get narky about sitting. Mm. And no matter of things that you throw at them, they throw back at you. So I think it's going to be more around stopping and letting that 14-month-old take Mm. breaks than it is about the three-and-a-half-year-old. So they don't use the iPad and, yes, they're going inland. Oh, that explained the trip. Okay, you don't use an iPad. You'd be downloading that NRMA. Are we there yet? Yeah. So I think that will get him going a little bit. Mm. Um, but I think it's the 14-month-old. And for that reason, I would consider when you drive. So the 14-month-old, if they sleep for two and a half hours in the middle of the day, I'd be driving in that. That's when I would start the trip. Then have it? a break. Then do another little drive. Then have a break for dinner. And then have three hours yep. of constant and driving. Go through the night. Yeah. Well, not go through the night, but go in the light hours because okay. it's getting darker now more in the 8 o'clock yes, window yes. and the 8.30 oh, right. window. So using that window where it, it'll be a little bit more peaceful. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mean to be pessimistic, Alana, but I feel for you. Yeah, yeah I feel for you. That's a trick with young kids, so I hope it works out really and, well. And I would have one episode of Peppa Pig downloaded or Octonauts downloaded on your phone because when it gets really bad, I'd just hold it up. <laughs> 
and let him watch it. Don't let him touch it. Don't worry about the iPad, but I'd I'd have one thing up your sleeve. Am I? I, I, Is it always? I don't know. This is a very gendered kind of thing to say, but I find my husband drives on the long trips and I'm in the passenger seat and I am always the one. I'd rather drive. I turn around that many times to the kids to give them food, to tell them to stop fighting. We gave them iPads. Right, well, <laughs> we're just not going to help Alana. <laughs> no, it's not, but I'd have the one downloaded because I think it would get hairy in there somewhere that you just go, whoop, and well, hold anyway, it Good up. luck. Maybe you should write about it. Tell us about it. Make it I, th- I think if, if, if your timing's right and you use their sleep windows, it's not going to be quite as bad. And if you okay. use that evening where it's still light and they're tired enough to go to sleep, I think that's, that's what's going to hold you so in. So in summary, leave at lunch. Tend to leave at lunch because the fourteen-month-old's having a sleep. Yep, the three-year-old will have a sleep. Yes. It'll probably fall asleep. Break after that sleep. Another drive for two hours. Break for dinner, and then another big drive till you get to where that first stop is okay. at night. Brilliant. Yep. Good, Good luck, luck. Alana. <laughs> this is Kindling Help Play with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. I'm Siobhan Hunt here on the Helpline. Chris takes your questions about everything from settling and weaning to help with travel, yeah. as you just heard, and routine. If you're listening in live, you can call in and ask your question on 1800 Kids Radio. That's 1800 543 Or if you're listening via the Kindling Conversation podcast, you can email us on conversation at kindling.com.au. Can I just say one thing about that type of trip? Yes. So the other thing when people ask me about really long trips is sometimes the easiest thing to do is to actually send dad the day before in the car with everything and you just fly up and he just does a big long drive and you fly up and he meets you at the airport and you pick him up. So Mm. that's another way of getting around that really long road trip if you can. If you have the option. Yeah, if you have the option, if the airports match up to where you're going. Yeah. Okay, so this one's from Gemma. With a 13-month-old. Thank you so thanks so much for your help previously regarding daytime sleep. Oh, it's a pleasure. Your advice has been amazing. My daughter is now 13 months and I'm looking at how to transition from two-day sleeps to one. Yep. Are there signs I should look out for to know if she is ready or not? Currently, she sleeps from 7.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. Yep. And has an incidental sleep in the car for about 30 minutes between 9 and 10 and then sleeps for around two and two, to two and a half hours between 1 and 4. I also still breastfeed three times a day. Would now be a good time to drop her midday feed? I'm returning to work in a few months' time and would like to stop this breastfeed before then. Well, Gemma, she's doing beautifully. Mm-hmm. So what we need to look at is that most children will drop their to one sleep in the day somewhere between 14 and 15 months. And I find if they do it before 14 months, they just get really, really tired. They just can't make it. So she's got a beautiful pattern going here. And I think until you see any movement in that pattern, I wouldn't change anything. Now, what we mean by movement is say she's sleeping beautifully for you in the day, but it's taking you, you put it to bed at 7.30 and she talks in there till 8 then that's a movement. Or she goes down at 7.30 but suddenly starts waking at 5.30 where she was always sleeping till 6.30. That's a movement. So it doesn't have to be a child that's objecting to sleep as such. It's just that there's some movement in it. And you're doing exactly what I would be doing at 13 months. She should have three milk feeds, an incidental morning sleep and a big long afternoon sleep. Once you see that movement happening, then what you're going to do is spend a couple of days of being at home because if you put her in the car or the pram in the morning, she will fall asleep. 
and you're going to spend a few uh, mornings at home and you're going to drop your midday breastfeed. So you'll move to two breastfeeds, one in the morning and one in the evening. And this is going to help you when you go back to work because you'll just feed on either side. So once you feel she's ready and you've picked your three days or four days across the weekend that you've got, then you're going to keep her moving in the morning Give a break, give her a breastfeed, give her breakfast, or the other way around if that's how it works. And then um, you're going to drop morning tea and try and give her lunch at around 11 and put her down for 11.30. So you have to be really gentle with her. You might have to do lots of walking around and picking up leaves and moving her through that tired window. And then give her lunch, put her down. And then hopefully what she'll do is join all that sleep together and she'll sleep for about two and a half hours. So she'll sleep till about um, two o'clock. Um, she needs more than two hours to adjust to one sleep. If they do less than two hours, they'll be a nightmare at the end of the day. And then those few couple of days as you're transitioning her to one sleep, you might need to put her to bed more at the 6.37. You'd have to watch her. If she's a bit grub, grumpy, then put her down as early as 6.30 and she'll sleep from 6.30 till 6.30. And then she'll adjust and she'll move back out to 7. She may not go back out to 7.30 um, and then she's adjusted to the one sleep um, program so I think you've got at least another month or so because she's doing so well um, but you should have a nicely on to one sleep and two breastfeeds before you go back to work. Excellent good luck Gemma. Rebecca has an almost one-year-old who's been a pretty good sleeper during the day and night. However, for the last three weeks, she's been waking twice a night between 11.30 and 12.30 and then between 3.30 and 4.30. The only way I've been able to get her back to sleep is by feeding her. I think she wakes because she works her way to the top of the cot and hits her head. What can I do to stop her moving in her cot, up in her cot? I know bumpers aren't safe, sleep safe, so looking for other safe options. I'm going back to work in January and desperately need a good night's sleep. Um, I think you're right, Rebecca, in that movement around the cot is a common thing that wakes them, especially in this one-year-old. It's almost like they're travelling in their sleep. I think where we've fallen apart is you've used feeding to go back to sleep and inadvertently now created a feeding issue, or not a feeding issue, but an association with feeding to go back to sleep. Um, there's not a lot we can do about them bumping into the cot. They usually do it for a few times and then they sort of become aware of where all the edges on their bed are and they stop bumping into the cot. So I think what you've seen is her getting to that stage where she goes up to the top, hits her head into the corner. She's woken herself and then inadvertently fed her back to sleep. And now she's used to waking and feeding to go back to sleep because she's doing it in the same time frames every night. So I think what started as the head bumping is now probably a behaviour of waking. And I think what I would do is the first time she wakes for the next couple of nights, I'd resettle her and see if we can get her through that window. The second time she wakes, I would give her half a breastfeed. So that we're just slowly weaning her off those feeds at night and doing some more gentle settling to get her to settle so things like laying her down putting your hands on her patting her a little bit reassuring her giving her a few minutes of crying go back lay her down reassure her give her a cuddle if she gets herself too worked up and put her back down and hopefully um, your partner might be able to help and go in the first time so she doesn't look at you and then look at your chest as if to say that's where I'm going Um, so if he could help on that first 
resettle. After a few nights, she should sleep through that window and so then she might only be waking at 3.30, give a half a feed for a couple of nights and then for another couple of nights, you're going to resettle her on resettle her on that wake up so give yourself a bit of time to do this set out your plan of how you're going to do it so it's nice and consistent for her and you'll see the reward by her starting to sleep back through the night again but I think it started with head banging or head bumping but inadvertently it's now turned into waking for feeds Good luck, Rebecca. The next question comes from Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Uh, she's after some tips on how to get her two-year-old to bed at 8 p.m. Along with his other brothers, she has four boys, four, three, three. two, and eight months. <laughs> and it's only the two-year-old causing havoc? <laughs> yes, but she but she wants them to all be... Well, In bed. All, yes, well, they're all... Yeah, yeah. I would say they're all going to bed at a similar time. I think the difficulty with this one is we need a bit more information because it's really hard to get a two-year-old to stay up till eight o'clock. But in the same respect, he might also be following his older brothers who are three and four and won't go to bed until until they they go to bed. So, um, and it also depends in what configuration everybody's sleeping. So do we have the four and the three-year-old in one room and the two and the eight-month-old in another room? So there's a few moving parts, but... If I had children of this age group, I would be putting my eight-month-old to bed at seven so that I could get that baby down and give time to the older kids. I would put my two-year-old down at 7.30 because they're just a bit a little bit wild. So giving yourself the time to actually put him down without having to go to the four and the three-year-old. And I would put the four and the three-year-old to bed at eight. So I would stagger them going to bed so that I could do the job well for each of them. Mm. So I'm not sure if you want him in bed because you just want them all in bed at eight o'clock or that someone's pushing their luck and going to bed later than eight o'clock. So with a two-year-old, that could be he's sleeping too late in the day. Okay. So we, a two-year-old, if you wanted him in bed at around 7.30 to eight o'clock at night, he ne- would need to be awake from his day sleep by 2 p.m. Okay, so check your timing in the day um, if it's about him pushing past the eight o'clock. Just check the timing of your sleep and I would have him up by two. So you could have him down at 12.30 and up at two. Mm-hmm. But if it's that you literally want all the children in bed at eight o'clock all going together, it's a little bit chaotic in that age group. And I would split the times to go to bed so that you could actually concentrate and put them to bed well. Um, so, Kimberly, if um, that doesn't answer your question, then yeah. perhaps um, write back, give us a few more details, details. Um, particularly where the boys are sleeping, whether they're all yep. in the same room or if they're in different rooms, yep. how your two-year-old is sleeping during yeah, the day. Yeah, during the day. And anything else, like if it's if it's your two-year-old saying, you guys go good. to bed, I'm <laughs> staying up all night, party time. Uh, just let us know that those details yeah. can give but you a bit more. But splitting the times might help. Even though it takes, like it takes an hour to get all four of them to bed, they all go to bed because they all get a bit of your time to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, good luck. Hope that helps, Kimberly. This is Kindling Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue and um, you're on on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. We only have time for one more question, but you can always email us during the week at conversation at kindling.com.au for our next helpline, which will be on Monday next week. This comes from Lana, nearly five-month-old, and car trips. Lots of car trip questions It's coming to that time of the year, isn't it? It is. It totally is. Um, I have a question. 
Uh, yes. My nearly five-month-old hates the car, particularly at night. He just screams oh. his head off. He gets himself so worked up that it usually takes up to an hour to calm him down when we get home. We have toys in the back seat for him, a mirror, white noise, and try to sit in the back with him when there are two adults traveling in the car. Yeah. We've even tried putting the wiggles on YouTube for him to watch in the car. Nothing seems to work. Any tips to try and make rides... Um, Karma for him is greatly appreciated. Okay, so I get this question an awful lot about babies between the age of about eight weeks to five months where they're really irritable in the car seats. Now, I don't know if most of that's because our world is a bit busier and they're sort of in and out of things and they're just irritated because they're caught, you know, they're captured in the car seat. The most common one, though, is that they're in a capsule and they're a bit tight in the capsule, so they, they get quite irritated. And sometimes if we move them out of the capsule and into a full car seat, then they do much better because there's a bit more room around them. The thing about the night, though, is I wonder whether it's just really dark. It's a really dark space and it's too dark too quick for them. Um, That would be the only thing about nights because mainly they're just unsettled as soon as you put them in the car, full stop. Um, So if one is, if he's in one of those like little car seats, you know, like a capsule version, a portable version, try putting him in a bigger car seat and and um, that might give him more room and that might help him. The other thing I'd avoid is putting him in the car when he's really tired, which is mainly when we do it. We think we'll put him in the car and they'll go to sleep in the car. But for the... The babies that struggle with the whole putting them in the car bit, then I would think that I would try when he's really happy and relaxed, like going for just a short drive on the weekend, he's happy and relaxed, you put him in the car seat, you sit in the back of the car, you still keep engaging him and you do a short trip and then you increase the length of the trip and also move to the side and then you move to the front so that the two adults are in the front of the car seat. But this is a really, really common question that we get more and more um, certainly in my practice and I actually think it's because they're overtired when they go in it they're too big for the car seat that they're in or um, that they're constantly in and out of car seats and they're just over it they don't want to do it and just to state the bleedingly obvious which both you and Chris would have thought of but when you are getting a new car seat make sure you are checking the size of your baby in the car seat with your wherever you're getting it from or get it checked from the yeah, but he um, would have been in this one from when he was little. Yeah, no, I mean when they move to a, ne- a next one, the next side is up. Just make sure you've got the right one, that's all. Um, yeah. But uh, hopefully that will help. Yeah. and um, It is more common yeah, than people I think. My son, actually, yeah. both of them screamed in the car. They both hated it. Yeah. Um, modern living. Yes, I, I totally agree. Biologically, we're probably not programmed, <laughs> programmed not to ride. In. We need a whole generation to <laughs> biologically change how we feel about used to being constant on our back, movement. Yeah. Running on the ground. Anyway, that's not helping you at all, is it, Lana? <laughs> but hopefully the tips that Chris yeah. gave you would. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. And thank you, Chris, for oh, your it's wonderful a pleasure. advice as always. And if we didn't get to your question, remember you can find Chris's advice on and all sorts of situations on our website. Just under go to kindling.com.au and look for Kindling helpline. Um, you can get in touch with your questions during the week by emailing us at conversation at kindling.com.au. Kindling Helpline was brought to you by Emla Anesthetic Patches and Creams. When your little one needs to be brave, Emla is there to ease the pain of vaccinations and blood tests. And of course, use only as directed. 
you've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.